So I was raised in a suburb of LA about 45 minutes east, and it was a pretty diverse suburb. But eventually my family moved to a slightly less diverse suburb so I could go to a better high school. And when I was at this high school, I was on the basketball team, and that was one of my favorite things to do. So being on the basketball team, we had this great tradition called Midnight Madness. Have you guys ever heard of that? Well, Midnight Madness was a thing when right before the season was starting, on midnight before the first day that we would practice, we would spend the night in the gym. We'd spend the night in the gym so we could practice at 12.01 and it would all be legal. Now this was a super fun thing, but you had to create stuff to do for these high school boys before midnight. You couldn't just throw them in a gym with sleeping bags. There would be chaos, right? So we had pizza, we did different games. We had a lot of fun. And one year, this year in particular, there was even a big attraction. They were going to shave my afro. <laughs> now this was a time when I actually had hair and oh, that hair was so glorious, wasn't it? So they decided we were gonna shave the afro and some hazing and some fun things like that. It's what teammates do. Now our team was pretty racially mixed, half black and half white, so we had fun, it was a good time, there was a bunch of hair on the floor eating pizza. Finally midnight comes and we're all sugared up and we start practicing, we practice till 2 a.m. and then we're all tired and we're getting ready to go to bed and that's when things turned ugly. See, as people were starting to find their spots to sleep, it became obvious that this was going to be segregated. The white players went to sleep in one part of the gym, the black players went to sleep in another part of the gym. And as somebody who was half black and half white, I was very uncomfortable and I didn't know where to go. But see, this racial tension that came up out of nowhere was ugly and it felt very, very wrong. I didn't start it, I didn't create it, I didn't even fan the flames, but I just knew that it wasn't right. See, as we continue in this series, Racial Reconciliation, I got a chance to hear some of your stories last week and all sorts of stories from my Hispanic brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters, my Asian brothers and sisters, your experiences with racism. And a lot of it is very personal and very, very painful. See, for some of y'all you shared, you've witnessed racism. You saw what it looked like and you didn't know what to do. It surprised you. You didn't believe that things were even like that. Now, for some of you, you've experienced racism. You've heard the worst words or terrible actions or even had acts of violence committed against you, and that's something that you still carry with you today. Others of you, you talked about how you felt. You just feel this tension, this division growing, this anger, and you don't know what to do. Now, for some of us here today, I know that you're still skeptical. You're going, okay, we did race last week. Are we really gonna do it again this week? I wanna ask you to hang in there, okay? I understand. You might feel like talking about it is even more divisive than not talking about it. You might not think there's much of a problem because things have gotten a lot better. I totally get it. I'm just asking you to hang in there with me. Hang in there for one more week and open your mind to the idea. I wanna challenge you to think that this could be something that's very important. Because see, even if you haven't experienced racism or witnessed racism or feel racism, you know what it's like to feel excluded. You know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. You know what it's like to have barriers built to keep you out of somewhere that you want to go. Barriers to keep you from belonging. And that 
is painful. So my question today, the question I'm asking is, why should we pursue racial reconciliation? Why should we do it? What's the reason? Let me quickly recap last week. Pastor Brent and I talked about Jesus and the racism he experienced and the racism that he called out and condemned. We also talked about becoming catalysts of both spiritual and social change to tackle this problem head on. And of course, we talked about Dr. King's dream on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And Martin Luther King's dream for diversity and unity, it was great, but it wasn't his. It wasn't something that he made up. Dr. King was inspired by scripture. His dream came from scripture and God's design for the church. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus has died, resurrected, and appeared to his disciples. And at the very end, this is the last thing he tells them, the final instruction. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus here is removing a massive racial barrier. The word ethnos here, right, they translate it as nations, but it doesn't mean like you belong to a certain country. It's better translated as race or culture. So take this to other races and other cultures. That's what he's saying. And if you remember, this was a time of great racial tension, not just between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, but the Gentiles as well. There's all this racial tension going on and Jesus is saying, take it, take it out. See, he wants the good news to go everywhere, to the ends of the earth. And that would have been uncomfortable and it would have been challenging for his disciples because of that tension that they felt. But because they did that, that's why we're here today. That's why we even have a church here in America. I mean, all this took place in the Middle East like 2,000 years ago, yet somehow Christianity has survived because making disciples of all nations. And it's not just for the first century, it's for us now. Let me give you another illustration from Acts 8. See, in Acts 8, it shows us how the Spirit is there to break down racial barriers. There's a man named Philip, and Philip was in Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem at this time, after Jesus was crucified, there was a great deal of violence and a great deal of persecution. So a lot of the believers, the early church fled. Philip went to Samaria and started sharing gospel with the Samaritans. Now if you weren't here last week, or if you were, you don't remember, the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. They were enemies. There was a lot of resentment and a lot of bitterness because of the racial conflict. So Philip was up there sharing the gospel but God takes him even further. In Acts 8, 26, this is what it says. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is God through an angel giving Philip a very specific path that he's supposed to take. It would be like go, hey, I need you to get somewhere, but don't take 471, don't take 211, take 16. That's what God is telling him. And God is sending him out of his comfort zone. He's sending him into the desert. He's sending him far from where he was going, close to Africa. So if you remember, Samaria was in the north, Jerusalem's kind of in the middle, and then Africa's down there. So he's taking Philip from the north, down through Jerusalem, where there's still violence, down toward Africa, which they would have considered the ends of the earth. It's not a place that they would have gone. But this is a very specific road he's leading on, which tells us this is a very important purpose, but it continues. 
So he, Philip, started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under, under Kendake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. See, the treasurer would have been a high-ranking position in the king of Ethiopia's government. The queen would have been the queen mother and she ran most of the country's business, but this was the guy in charge of the money and it would have been a lot of money. And at this point, Ethiopia, it wasn't quite what we think of it as today. It was a larger, powerful kingdom that took up a bigger chunk of Africa at the time. But make no mistake, this guy, he was dark skinned. We would call him black in our culture, right? And while he was reading the Bible, he may have been a worshiper of God or curious about God, but he wasn't a practicing Jew. He couldn't have been a Jewish person because he wouldn't have been able to go into the synagogue. See, Gentiles were barred from a certain part of the synagogue. And then because he was a eunuch, he was also barred from another part of the synagogue. So he basically had to stay outside. There was a race barrier and a disability barrier. He was an outsider. He was unclean. It would have been very frowned upon for any Jewish person to talk to him or approach him or even acknowledge him. But this is what Philip does. This is what happens. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. I wanna tell you, this is awkward. This is physically awkward because Philip was walking and so he had to like run up on this carriage. Like, have your wife or your kids or your husband ever forgot something in the morning and you run out of the house trying to chase down the car? Like with the cell phone, like, stop! That's what this was, right? He was jogging beside this carriage. That would have made it awkward. But it's also awkward because he's crossing a racial barrier that would have been frowned upon in society. But Philip knew this was the guy he was there for. Scripture continues. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture that was in Isaiah, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again but went on his way rejoicing. That means that the first recorded Gentile convert we have to Christianity was a black African. From an outsider to an insider, he became a brother, he became a part of the family. Remember, this guy couldn't go to the temple. This guy couldn't worship in the synagogue and now he's an equal part of the family. He's fully reconciled to God. I also imagine he had questions about if he got disappearing powers too because he found Jesus. I wonder, I'm, okay, I'll do a bad African accent, right? I wonder if they all disappear like this. <laughs> he was reconciled to God and this was by design. You can see it in the scripture. The angel told him to go there. The Holy Spirit guided him to go up to the carriage. This was by design and it was spirit led because God's deliberate purpose with the gospel is to reach Gentiles and to break down racial barriers. 
It's a priority because he did it with Philip and we see it all throughout Acts. See, the church was there to break down racial barriers so that there were no longer barriers to people who could come into the temple or who can't come into the temple. Instead, it's a gathering of all God's people who will look different, act different, and come from different backgrounds. That's why at City Church, our purpose is to exist so all people can believe and thrive in Christ. And we're not joking about all people, just look around. All people can believe and thrive in Christ. See, one of the things Dr. Martin Luther King said most often is that Sunday, church time, is the most segregated hour in America. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way if we commit to breaking down these racial barriers because Jesus' design for the church was interracial and diverse because that's God's design for humanity. He made so many of us in so many different ways, so many different languages. We're diverse for a reason. So we fight racism because racism is not God's design. That's not how God created us. That's not how God wanted us to be. So the work of reconciliation, the work we're doing is to restore proper relationship to each other, which will allow us to restore a proper relationship to God. See, I like to think of reconcile, right? It's a nice, big, fancy word, but the work of reconciliation is building a bridge. It's building a bridge. So if we want the church to reflect God's vision of unified diversity, we have to not just remove barriers, we have to build bridges. We have to be people that build bridges. That's what he's asking us to do. And he wants us to address racism in our society and be catalysts of spiritual and social change. Let me talk to you guys for a minute. This is one thing that we can get right that the world isn't going to get right. If there's no Jesus, if there's no unity, if there's no gospel, why would you even try? But we can lead the way as the church. We can show everyone how unity, diversity can look. We can do it. See, Philip was a bridge builder, that's what he did. And I have five ways that you can be more like my man Philip. The first is respect. Respect. Respect is how we show love to strangers and to all people. It's treating everyone as though they have equal value. Treating everyone as though they have equal value. And that's what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. Now look, I'm on social media. I see what we're posting on social media. And guys, it's not good. We're mean. We're hateful. We're divisive. And I wanna tell you, there's a way to disagree with someone without demonizing them. And I wanna ask you not to let anybody make you choose a side because there are no sides. So don't make anyone, don't let anyone tell you you have to choose a side. You can, it's okay to disagree with people, that's fine. But you don't have to demonize them. Now for my folks who are still kind of skeptical about this racial thing, like, eh, I don't know if I want to engage, I don't know if I believe it, I want you to consider, acknowledge, and engage the idea that there may be something called systematic racism. That there's systematic advantages that some people get that some people don't. I'm not calling into question anything you have or anything everybody, anybody else has. 
I'm not saying it applies to everybody, but I'm saying there are things that are out there. Last week, Pastor Brent talked about redlining. And for some of you guys, you shook your head and were like, yeah, I know what that is. For others of you, I saw you glaze over like you were in an economics class. Let me tell you what redlining is. Redlining is the practice where people of color who have equal qualifications still can't have access to loans or get approved for a much lower amount. And San Antonio generally is in the top 10 of redlining. See, redlining was outlawed with the Fair Housing Act, which was passed 50 years ago. That was the thing that Brent talked about being passed right after Martin Luther King Jr.'s death. The Fair Housing Act was supposed to prevent that, but it still hasn't done it. And minority home ownership is actually lower now than when the FHA was signed. So this Fair Housing Act that was supposed to help people get housing and not have been redlined anymore is still going on. That's one of the things that you can educate yourself about and know more about. Second thing I'm asking you to do is proximity. Proximity, you cannot build bridges from a distance. You have to get up close. You have to get up close like Philip did running beside the chariot, the carriage. And I'm gonna ask you specifically to get close to something today. I want you to get close to the food insecure people of South Texas with Feed SA. So we do Feed SA every year because there are so many poor, hungry, and food insecure people in our city. Hunger hurts us all. It affects everyone, no matter your race, creed, or color but it disproportionately impacts the people of color in South Texas. And in South Texas, we have the second highest rate of food insecurity in the nation. The second highest rate of hunger in the nation. That's crazy to me. And that's why we do Feed SA. And so on May 19th and 20th, I'm gonna ask you to fight hunger by bringing food and bringing funds. We're having an old fashioned food drive. I want you to bring food and I want you to bring funds to help fight hunger in our city. Now, if you really wanna connect, if you really wanna go further and do more and engage your community, I wanna ask you to lead a micro drive. Lead a micro drive, and here's what that is. Instead of just collecting it from your family, you go in your neighborhood. You go to your extended family. You go to your workplace and you collect food and funds from them. You engage the whole community. We always have amazing stories because kids get this, right? Adults, we're kind of lame and are like, well, I don't know if anybody would want to give me anything. But kids go out and they get a stinking wagon and they ask every house for a few cans and then they raise 300 pounds of food. That's what a micro drive is. It's engaging your community to solve the problem of hunger. And I want to ask you to bring food May 19th and 20th. And if you want to take that step, Become a leader of a micro drive. Right after the service in the center pavilion, my girl Gabby's gonna be out there and she can get you signed up and give you all the resources you need to lead a micro drive. We're not just here to give a handout, we wanna give a hand up to those in poverty. Next thing I'm gonna ask you to do, the third thing is change the narrative. See, the gospel changed this eunuch's narrative. He went from being an outsider, someone who could never be in the club, never be one of the chosen to part of the family overnight. His narrative completely changed. And we gotta continue changing that narrative because when we change the narrative, we break down barriers and we build bridges for people. So there's a couple things I'm gonna ask you to do. 
In the black community, we have something called the talk. Now, I see some of the folks that are shaking their heads going, yeah, I've heard the talk, okay? The talk is an important part of that community, and it's about engaging racism and understanding how you're perceived in the world. It's instructions for helping you not to get arrested or not to infringe on other people's property, and it's understanding how people see you, whether it's right or wrong, it's for protection and it's for safety. But I'm gonna ask you to have another talk. Even if you've never heard of the talk, you don't know what the talk is, I want you to talk to your kids about race. I want you to have a direct, straightforward conversation with them. Now, I come from the generation where every parent seemed to have taught their kid to be colorblind. Go, whoa, man, I don't see race, right? I wanna ask you to do something different. I wanna ask you to increase their racial IQ. I wanna ask you to increase your children's racial awareness. Talk to them about it. One of the questions I asked was, when did you first become aware of race? That's a really good place to start. See if your kids are even aware of it because some of your kids are probably not. Have the conversation. So beyond the talk, I'm gonna ask you also for the listen. I want you to do the listen, okay? I want you to listen to other people's stories about race and how it's impacted their life. Now, I'm very sensitive to this, right? I remember, if you don't, I came from an all-white family, all-white relatives, all-white parents, and one of the things that I've noticed recently is that white people are really hesitant to talk about race. And I understand why. You could be demonized. You can be called a racist. Your ignorance could be turned around when you're just trying to help. So I'm asking you, no matter what the color of your skin is, to listen to each other to listen and understand perspectives because I can tell you everybody in this room is a good person. Listen, listen. Fourth thing I'm gonna ask you to do is be willing to do uncomfortable things as if you already couldn't tell. I've asked you to participate in a food drive and I've asked you to talk about race. Those are uncomfortable things. But see, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, that was, that was an awkward situation. It must have come out of nowhere. But to be a bridge builder, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to get out of your comfort zone of what you know, what you think, and how you behave, and you gotta do that. This is where last week Pastor Brent talked about responding to racism, right? He wanted you to call it out if you see it. Now, Pastor Brent has the kind of personality where he'll like really actually call it out and not feel weird about it. Now, for some of you guys, you might not be so bold, right? You might not feel like you can do that, so one of the ways that you can do it is you can do it privately. You don't have to stand up in a meeting and go, excuse me, sir, that was racist. You don't have to do that. One of the ways you can do it is you can confront it privately with the person and talk to them and go, hey, what you said may have offended somebody. Right? What you said may have pushed somebody away and it's not accomplishing the purpose that you want to accomplish. You can approach it privately because we're not all like Brent. Thank God. The last thing I wanna to talk to you guys about is hope. That's the fifth component of how to build bridges like Philip. So I told you my high school basketball story and you know what I actually did? Me and the Mexican guy on the team, we slept right in between the white guys and the black guys. But it didn't help. It didn't do anything. And I wish I could tell you we had this Disney moment where we said, you know what, brother, I respect you. You know what, I respect you. And we shook hands and had a Disney moment and won the state championship. It didn't happen. 
The racial tension continued throughout the season. We lost a lot of games and we didn't like each other and had a lot of awkward bus rides. But that moment, that experience is part of what drives me to break down barriers, to build bridges because it's possible. Now I have seen this work before. I went to the University of Southern California or USC and if you've talked to me for more than 10 minutes, you've heard me mention that. We can be a little pretentious. Now, one of the nicknames for USC is the University of Spoiled Children. But one of the things that people don't tell you about USC is that it's located in South Central Los Angeles. South Central, I mean, the South Central that you see in the movies, that's where USC is at. And it's this little campus surrounded by South Central Los Angeles, a higher crime rate, all of those kinds of things. And during the LA riots, that was the area hit the hardest. The LA riots absolutely decimated that area of South Central LA. But you wanna know one place that wasn't hit? USC. And you know why it wasn't hit? Because the university has a policy of engaging the community. When I was there, they sent out Almost every student, every undergraduate student would spend an hour a week in a local elementary school helping kids read and helping them with their math. When they hired folks from the local community, it didn't matter if you were the best professor or just a gardener or nighttime janitor. If you worked there for a certain amount of your time, your kids got free tuition. My favorite tram driver in the world, Francisco, worked there for 30 years and sent three of his kids through this private university. See, USC wasn't harmed by the riots because they built a relationship with the community. They broke down barriers and they built bridges. And when we build bridges, we see that respect. See, later Paul writes in Galatians, he goes, in Jesus, there's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer black or white or brown. There's only Jesus. And we're united in that. We are one in that. And that's the whole point of this, to be one united people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your vision of unity, Father. I pray that you allow us to get out of our comfort zones, whatever that looks like. Father, please, Please give us a heart to understand what's going on. Let us reach out and build bridges. Let us hear stories. Let us tell our story. Let us get serious about your work of reconciliation because it is your design for the church from the beginning. Father, let us be the catalyst of spiritual and social change that you've called us to be. And let us do it as one. In your name, amen.